0: turn to the book of 1 Peter. Peter is writing to persecuted Christians. Have you ever suffered for Jesus? Has someone—Pastor mentioned this—has someone ever called the good that you are doing evil? Has that ever happened before? Have have you tried tried to encourage or help someone, and by the truth that you speak, they say, how dare you say that? Man, our world is in a mess, isn't it? Woo! My, my, I've got a two-year-old, and when my wife would change his stinky diapers, she says, shoo-wee! Man, sometimes you look at the world, you go, shoo-wee! In the middle of the mess, I just wish that there was someone who was in control, don't you? And wouldn't it be great in the middle of the mess if that person who was in control knew everything and knew how to fix the mess, wouldn't that be great? And wouldn't it be great if he would write a book to tell us what to do in the middle of the mess? Can I tell you, there is a God in heaven who runs everything, who knows everything, who sent his son to fix everything, and wrote a book about it to guide us. And uh, we're gonna look at that book tonight. Now, before we get there, I do what Pastor did mention. I run an organization called the Center for Truth and Love, and that comes from Ephesians chapter. For where the Bible says we as believers, in the middle of cultural chaos and confusion and people toss back and forth, um, and, and it, it says specifically, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. And I told the educators earlier today, I am so thankful that that only applies to the first century, because today we have the internet and no one ever lies. We know everything there is true true. Hello? I can't, I can't see you, so you got I gotta hear you. Uh, so, so yeah, our world's in a mess, and in the middle of that mess, God's solution says this in Ephesians four fifteen. but speaking the truth in love. And what I find is often Christianity, greater Christianity, is divided. On one hand, you have people that want to be loving, and I hope you're one of those people. But for some of those people, they take culture's definition of love. And culture says if you want to be loving, you have to affirm or be silent. Now on the other hand, I've met the people that speak, and when they speak they're so unkind you wish they would be silent. You ever met that person before? Well, God hasn't called us to silence. He hasn't called us to unkindness. He has called to speak His truth in a loving way. And that's what the Center for Truth and Love does. We have a A television show uh, that's syndicated on Dish and DirecTV. You can find archive episodes of that on our website. Um, We do conferences across the country. And by the grace of the Lord, uh, He's allowed us to train in person over 125,000 students and parents over the last several years in biblical worldview and apologetics. And uh, so that's some of what I do. Now, a lot of times people ask me to come in, pastor just said, well, if you're here, why not just, you know, hang out and, uh, and preach tonight? So he didn't give me any direction of what he wanted me to cover. And uh, so I, I thought that I would not use the Quran and I would use the Bible. And uh, so, so you're going to hear from the Bible tonight, I hope that doesn't disappoint anybody. Um, but, but I wanted to share something with you. A lot of times, I mean, there's so many directions I could go. And uh, a lot of reasons why people have me in is because they're going, Ben, help us to understand what's happening in the world and to understand culture. And uh, so when we look at 1 Peter 3, I want to give you just a a tiny little nugget tonight, so something small, and and I just feel like it'd be a help to you. And uh, let, let me preface this, have you ever been in a situation where you have heard a phrase and you're like, in your gut, you're like, that doesn't sound right, but I don't know what to say to that. Have you ever been there before? Okay, that's me. I feel like almost every day when I go through the headlines, I'm like, there's a new thing. we got to figure out how to speak to that. Those confusing statements are things the devil uses to push us away from the truth. And we as believers need to be equipped to speak what is true to those. So, so, 1 Peter 3, let's look at what the Bible says. In verse 14, Peter's speaking to persecuted Christians, and he says, But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Don't be Worried in the middle of suffering if you're doing what is right. Oh, that's good. Then he says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And then he says, and be ready always. And be ready always to give an answer of every man that asketh you, A reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, gentleness and respect, with kindness, with an appropriate attitude. Now it's interesting, in verse 16, here's the purpose of this. Now the passage I just read, uh, you may be a mature believer and and know- how many have ever heard the term apologetics before? I'd just be curious. Okay, so about everybody. This is where we get that term, apologia, uh, apologetics, always be ready to give an answer. That's, That's where we get this. Now a lot of people think of apologetics as convincing atheists to not be atheists anymore. Uh, How many would agree that it's not a good thing to be an atheist? And, And if that's the case, wouldn't you agree that it would be good to convince someone not to be an atheist? So that's a good thing. But it's interesting. The purpose here is stated as something different in 1 Peter 3. Here's what he says. He says, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accused your good conversation in Christ. Do you know it is possible to have your conscience be turned so that what you think is good is actually evil? And what you think is evil is good. Do you know the devil is not the father of murder? He's not the father of theft. What does the Bible call him? The father of what? See here's what's great about lies. When you lie, you get the person or a person that believes a lie can actually do something against themselves that they think is good for themselves. That's the power of a lie. And so here's what's happening in our culture. Our culture says, if you think that, if you do not think, excuse me, that a man can become a woman, then you're unloving if you say so. But do you know that's a bad definition of love? And you know that our culture can manipulate your conscience to think that evil is good and good is evil via the conscience. So how do we avoid this? Thankfully, God wrote a book. He says this in verse 15. You've got to be ready. To do what? To give an answer. And So how can we be ready? That's what I want to talk about tonight, always be ready. And if you don't mind, I want to start with a story. Uh, Just to kind of illustrate this, and then I'm going to go through some principles. When you hear some of these phrases, and it's going to be real practical. I don't know if that's a lot. I don't know how practical you get. You know, I know some people, you know, we're just going to be like teaching tonight, if that's okay. The Bible talks about teaching and preaching, so I'm not going to burn anything down or anything. We're just going to do some simple teaching tonight, if that's okay. Uh, I don't know. I might get beat up for only. T- I'll do a little preaching. We'll mix it together. We'll do a mix. Okay. Okay. Uh, story. So, several years ago, I had a friend uh, who actually my son is named for, a pastor in the Bahamas. His name is Cranston, that's my son's name. And Cranston called me and said, we're, we're opening our church off, and he pastored a very influential church in the nation of the Bahamas, and he said, we're opening our year off in January. Would you come for a week and preach in some of the public schools and come and preach in our church? And I said, do you want me to do ministry in the Bahamas? In January let me pray about that I feel called all right so, before we left, I was spending some time with my in laws, and my father in law had got into this show called Locked Up Abroad. I don't know if you've ever seen National Geographic. I don't know if it still airs. This was several years ago. And the premise of the show is these people get, go overseas and sometimes knowingly violate the law, sometimes by accident, but they wind up in a third world um, judicial system and prison system. And uh, suffice it to say, it does not go well. And so we watched many episodes of Locked Up Abroad, and then the next day we went abroad. And uh, so so we flew, I I was in St. Louis, so we flew to Miami, and then had a short flight or we changed planes, and then had a short flight in the Bahamas. We landed in the Bahamas, and I'd never had this happen before. The pilot gets on the horn, and he says, Ben Shetler, that's my name, Ben Shetler, if you're on this plane, please hit your call button. So I hit my call button, and then he repeated it, same thing, Ben Shetler, Ben Shetler, if you're on the plane, please hit the call button. So, So I hit it again. And, uh, you know, I unpressed it and then pressed it again, and by this time everybody on the plane is wondering who this Ben Shetler person is. And then a flight attendant comes walking from that, and you can tell just by her demeanor, the way she's walking, that one, she's looking for Ben Shetler, and two, you do not want to be Ben Shetler. (laughs) So she gets to my seat and looks at me, and she goes, sir, are you Ben Shetler? And I said, no, ma'am, I hit the button for that guy over there. <laughs> I said, yes. She said, please follow me to the back of the plane. And uh, so, I, I, I mean, I was comfortable where I was at. That, that, you know, those uncomfortable seats got real comfortable in that moment. And so I walked with her to the back of the plane. Now we're standing in the galley area, and this woman is like backed up again, like trying to be as far away from me as she possibly can be. And now those episodes of Locked Up Abroad are playing in my mind. And this is how every one of them begins. And I I am like, I am going to a Bahamian prison, and it is not going to be pleasant. And I want to tell you, I was very scared. And so I I look at the lady, and I say, ma'am, I say, what in the world is happening? And she says, I have been a flight attendant for over 20 years, and this has never happened. She said, the Bahamian military is waiting to escort you off the plane. I said, not the police? She goes, no, the military. I'm like, I'm going to Guantanamo. I'm not even going to have an attorney. I'm so, I'm like, they think I'm some, but arbiter- I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I'll never forget this. I say, well, ma'am, and she can see now I'm scared, like she can see the fear on my face. And I say, ma'am, as far as I know, I have done nothing wrong. And then she, like, now she understands this guy does not look like, like a hardened, guilty criminal. And I've obviously complied with everything she's asked. And so then she shifts into this gear that something just doesn't seem right here. And so she attempts to comfort me. These are the words of comfort this flight attendant offered me. She says, is it possible that one of your family members has died? I thought, well, I hadn't thought of that. I'm either going to prison or my mother's funeral, but either way, this is not a happy time. So now the fear is exponential. Either someone is dead, or I'm going to die in a Bahamian prison. We, we get off the- everyone is off the plane, we get off the plane, and she was not exaggerating. There were two, two military officials awaiting the plane. There's a gentleman who looked in what would be similar to a marine dress uniform. man, that this man looked sharp. He had this khaki top with these beautiful brass buttons going up the front, um, like these sharp pants. And I remember he had his hat under his arm, and he was holding a baton with a beautiful brass, and he was just standing there at attention. And I thought, I'm about to get beat with that baton in a back room. Next to him was a woman, she was wearing a beautiful, what would be like a, a navy, like a white dress suit, she had this beautiful long white uh, skirt, and, and a top with black, you know, things with black buttons on it, and was wearing a shirt, and they were both standing at attention. And, uh, and I'm like, uh, you know, they said, are, are you Ben Shetler, and I'm like, you know, take me away. Yeah, that's me. And then they said, Mr. Shetler, we would like to welcome you to the nation of the Bahamas. You sir, are our honored guest." Yeah. I look back at that flight attendant, maybe your mom is dead. Uh, Wow. What an honor. And what had happened that this church had various members of parliament in the church, and one of the people in the church was in charge of all Bahamian airspace. And one of the things that his office kind of down the line did was arrange escorts for dignitaries that came into the country. So the ambassador to the United States, the Queen of England, Ben Shetler, you know, these people. But they did it. It was really special, and uh, we had a special escort through the airport. We, we walked right through customs. It, it, it was quite an honor. I've thought about that, and, and honestly, I didn't really enjoy any of it because I was so afraid. And uh, I thought about that flight attendant who, who just ruined, ruined all of it for me. And uh, you know, I, I think about the way that our world views the future. Do you know that the king of the universe sent his son to die on the cross that we might be personally escorted into his kingdom? And do you know there are people that say what awaits us is bad when really what awaits us is good? And we need to be the flight attendants that offer the goodness of God, not the awfulness of this world. So how do we do that? Okay. Was that a long enough introduction? Okay, here we go. I, I preach long, but thankfully I got a headache tonight for you guys. All right, so here we go. I want to give you a three-step process to always being ready. How would I do this? Number one, when some, and let me give you some of these phrases and examples. We're going to go through them. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't judge me before? You ever heard this and wondered, well, well I, I mean, like, I don't want to be judgmental. But I also want to be discerning. How, what do I say to that? Have you ever heard the phrase, love is love? You ever heard that phrase before? And it's used to say, well, anyone can marry anyone. Well, what do I say? Maybe you've heard the phrase before, uh, my body. My choice. You ever heard that phrase before? Uh, so, so we're going to look at some of these phrases. How do we give an answer? And I'm telling you, you can apply this this rubric, this system to really anything. So if you're a note taker, I challenge you to take take notes because it really helps you. It's a little three step process. It's really simple. All right. Number one, discern. What is being said? Okay, so someone says love is love or don't judge. I want to discern what's being said. And Ben, how do I do that? Here's a key question that you can ask somebody. What do you mean by that? This will help you in your marriage. This will help you at your work, because if you ever hear something that you disagree with initially, maybe you just have two different definitions of one word. So I want to know, what do you mean by that? It also gives you a little space to think and to listen to what you say. And here's the key action, is to listen. Do you know how many Christians don't listen, we just wait to give the other side? Let's hear what people say, hey, help me understand what you mean. By that, my wife and I. My wife says something I disagree with. It's happened. You know, we've been married 17 years. It's happened two times. Um, but uh, but she says something I disagree with. I'm like, hang on, honey. What do you mean by that? And then she says, you're using your stuff on me. <laughs> but it really is helpful. Help me understand what you mean because I'm not sure I agree, but before I put my foot in it, maybe we do agree, and I'm just hearing it the wrong way. What do you mean by that, right? And so I want to listen, and I'm telling you, listening is a powerful thing in a marriage, right? And it's, it's good in the workplace. Your boss says, hey, help me understand what you mean by this so I can best implement So it really works in a lot of places. Discern what is being said. What do you mean by that? Listen, okay, step number two, and we're going to go back through all this again, okay? Demonstrate the logical flaw. Now, here's the thing about truth. All truth is from God. All truth is God's truth. There is nothing that is untrue that conflicts with God. Now, not all truth is as important as all truth's. And this is very important. Not all truth is the same. I had one pastor, at, one pastor asked me one time, he goes, Ben, is all truth worth fighting for? And I said, no, it's not. But I think you wanted me to say Yes. <laughs> He said, what do you mean? I said, all truth doesn't have the same consequences. Let me give you an example of of why we fight for some truths and not for others. Let's say I'm in New York City standing on a, a subway platform, and the guy next to me looks over at me and goes, the Mets have won more World Series than the New York Yankees. In case you don't know, that statement is blatantly untrue. I'm not a Yankees fan, I'm just saying it's not true. And so he makes that statement, and I wrestle him to the ground, and I say, I'm not going to let you up until you admit that the Yankees have one more World Series than the Mets. I am going to stand and fight for truth. You say, well, I don't recommend that, because you're going to jail. Now, it's interesting, same subway platform, same guy in this fictitious scenario. He looks over at me and says, well, life is not worth living, and when that train comes in the station, I'm going to step out to it. If you know anything about New York City subways, those trains come in hot. You don't want to stand in front of it. That's the end. And so, the subway starts rumbling, the train's coming in, and I can see this guy is about to step in. As he makes his move, I grab him, and I wrestle him to the ground, and I save his life. His life is worth fighting for. One is a moral good. The other is just me being a jerk, right? Why? Because of the consequences of not believing the truth. Is it a big deal if someone doesn't get World Series right? No, it is not a big deal. It's a, sorry, the Yankee fans are all going to come beat me up afterwards. Uh, is it a big deal to end your life? See, understand, them. So, so all truth is not worth fighting for, but, but some truth is, and we need to, all truth is God's truth. And so on those things that are big issues, if it is untrue, it will not be logical. Some people say, well, you know, God is not logical. God is transcendent, but he is not illogical. There's a difference. I may not be able to understand everything God does, but that does not mean He is illogical. It just means I am not fully equipped to know all that God does. Uh, It may feel illogical to me even at times, but God's truth, and and that's why you can investigate, that's why you can learn about God in the world that He made. All right, i got to keep going. Demonstrate the logical flaw. How do I do that? Uh, Key question, how is this inconsistent with reality? I'm going to show you how to do that, how to determine how it's inconsistent, and then here's the key action. We have to think, you know, uh, it's really sad how many Christians think that, that faith causes us to not think. It's a poor definition of faith. Faith, we trust God for things that we can't understand. But there are many things in God's world He wants us to investigate that we can think about and we need to think, and faith is not in conflict with our thinking. All right, last one. Now a lot of times, before I get there, a lot of times people say, well you got three D's because, once again, second opinion says that everything has to be alliterated, right? So I have three D's tonight. So the first one is uh, discern what's being said, the second one is demonstrate the logical flaw. Okay, some people got it. Very good. Demonstrate the logical flaw. And most people say, and the third one is dance on the grave of their defeated idea. You know, you have dominated them. You've won. Na, na 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 boo boo You know, you got it right. They got it wrong. And this is not the attitude as Christians we have. We don't just want to win an argument. That's not the point. The point is to speak truth in a loving way. And so then, lastly, what I want to do is direct them to the ultimate source of truth, the Word of God. I'm not done once I've demonstrate the logical flaw, now I go, let me show you where the truth about this issue is. And uh, here's the key question with that, is who's the authority? Uh, Where are we? I'm not appealing to me. I don't believe this because of me. And and a lot of times people will say, I'll, I'll never forget, I was debating an atheist, and she goes, you know, your views are just so bigoted. And I said, Shannon, I said, understand. Now, I know you call them my views, and it is what I believe, but, but they are not my views. They're God's views in the Bible. I said, I just believe what God says. I'll never forget. She paused for a long time, and she goes, man, that, that's really hard. That, that you, you, but you're stuck, at, like she felt bad for me that I was stuck in this place where I had to do what God says, and I thought, oh, uh, the confusion, I don't mean to be unkind to her, but the confusion you live in is so difficult, where for me, I can just look at the Word of God and find out what He says. It's a light. It's, it's quite wonderful. So who is the authority? And then the key action is, I just do what God says, and I submit. Okay, is that helpful to you? Okay, let's go back and let's rewind here, and uh, real briefly, let's, uh, let's go over this with some of these phrases. How about don't judge me, because we hear that one a lot, all right? So don't judge me. What do we need to do? What is step number one? Okay, so uh, do you not allow people to talk in your church? Uh, I- I'm going. I can't tell that story. I was in I was in this church. They're very reserved, and it's a little church plant. It's about fifty people, and there, it's in Pensacola. We just some of our friends were there, so we go go visit with them. And the pastor was finishing Ecclesiastes. It was this last Sunday. It was so beautiful. He said, "All is vanity, but Solomon comes to the end of his life, and with God, all things have meaning." And oh man, I was about to run a lap. I was like. Eh! My wife's like, shh, don't say anything. They don't say amen here. I'm going to get into trouble. So, hey, with God, all things have meaning. Can I get a? I just had to get that off my system from last Sunday. It's been bottled up. Some churches, they don't talk. Tonight, we'll make an exception. You can talk. Okay. So, here we are. Don't judge me. Discern what is being said. Uh, so, what is that? So, the key question here is, what do you mean by that? And uh, and so, what does someone mean when they say, "Don't judge me"? Anyone want to take a stab at it? I'm gonna answer. If you don't, I just figure I give someone a chance. Okay, here's what they mean. First of all, what they don't mean is you're a judge. Like they don't think you're wearing a you know a black robe with a gavel. That would be fun to kind of walk around the Walmart. You know, you should not be wearing that. This is a public place, right? Uh, You know, uh, that's not what they mean, right? What they mean is, is don't form an opinion about my behavior, right? right? And really, they don't mean that either. They mean something more specific. They mean don't form a negative opinion about my behavior. That's what they mean when they say don't judge me. Because, you know, after pastor, I come up and I say, hey, pastor, you know, this is a beautiful facility. So many great people even coming out on a Thursday night. I mean, uh, you're obviously doing something right here. And he goes, you know, Ben, I really would wish that you wouldn't judge me. Well, I'm giving them a compliment. So the key is, I'm saying, don't form a negative opinion about my behavior. That's really what they're saying, isn't it? Okay, so now that we know what that means, uh, let's go to step two, demonstrate the logical flaw. How is that inconsistent? And a lot of times you can demonstrate the logic in action. So let's put the logic in action. You and I go to the Walmart. Do you, you don't allow Walmarts in California, do you? You got a few of them. So we go to the Walmart, and I fill my stuff up with the, with the cart, and you fill your stuff up, and we go rolling out. and. Uh, And I'm headed out the store, and uh, I go right past the cash registers out the door, and you say, oh, hang on, Ben, you forgot to pay. I said, oh, no, uh, we don't know each other very well. I I just want you to know I identify as a non-paying person. That's how I identify. And you say, well, wait a second, what do you mean? I said, well, when I pay for things, I have less money, and uh, having less money gives me anxiety. And so to avoid anxiety, I just don't pay, and uh, I've done this for a long time now, so I just identify as non-paying. And so I roll out to the car, and Walmart security shows up, and the police come, and they put me in jail. And I say, wait a second, I'm I'm non-paying. And uh, they say, it doesn't matter, you're going to jail. Uh, Though they don't really do that sometimes around here, Uh, but back home in Florida, you would go to jail. Okay. Now, why? Why do I go to jail? What if I looked at the police and I say, don't judge me? Because for a society to exist, we want to think the best of people, but we have to both determine what is good and what is bad. And you can't have a functioning society where people just steal stuff. It doesn't work. It has to be paid for. Because when, yeah, so, so we've demonstrated the logical flaw, but then we can direct people to the Word of God. How is this inconsistent with reality? And then we direct them to the Word of God. Who's the authority on this? And where the Bible says, actually, that the spiritual man, in the book of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, It says the spiritual man actually uses the word judges all things. Now, is it saying that the spiritual man judges people's motives? No, because that belongs to the Lord. So we never want to judge people's motives. I don't know why they did what they did. I can look at some things and have some questions, but I can judge what they're doing. And if what they're doing violates God's word, I want to call them to repentance so they can walk in the light. I'm not being unkind. Now you say, when the Bible said, don't, don't judge me, you know, Jesus said, judge not lest she be judged. And, and what he was talking about specifically there was real uh, 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 condemnation being passed down by the religious leaders. He was talking about the, the, the court context. Um, the religious leaders, it was, it, it was uh, Jewish nationalism back then. The, 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 the people that led the synagogues also passed down the judgments. And he was literally saying, when you judge, don't go over here and, and be hypocritical. Don't do evil and then turn around and, and send someone to prison f- for doing the same thing you're doing, or not as worse as you. And so it, it was a, a, a specific legal comment, but it was also regarding um, uh, hip- hypocrisy. And so we need to make sure that we're doing right before we, we call out sin in other people's lives. All right. Is that helpful? I, I hope not. I, I hope it is. Okay. So let's go to love is love. And that is a tautology. How am I doing on time here? Okay. We got a little bit of time. Uh, that is a tautology. You can put is between any two words and I will agree with it. The Bible is the Bible. That's true, isn't it? Newport Beach is Newport Beach. Kangaroo is kangaroo. Love is love. I agree that love is love. But the question is, is what do you mean by that? And here's the problem, and a lot of times if we just get to what do you mean by that, uh, we demonstrate uh, or we discern what's being said. What is meant is that any expression of love is valid. That's what it means, right? Like any way that I express my love, you don't, don't judge me for the way I love because love is love. But is that true? Is any expression of love valid? Uh, what if tonight I just start walking around as you're walking out and start punching people in the face and Pastor Thompson comes up to me and says, Ben, you know, we prefer our guest speakers to not punch people in the face. And I said, well, that's how I love people. That's how I show them love. And he goes, well, that's a really bad definition of love. How many would agree that's a bad definition of love? Punching people in the face. Why? Because there is a truth about love. You can't just define it any way that you want. And do you know that the Bible in 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a definition of love where it says love is patient, love is kind, but do you know it also says it doesn't rejoice in iniquity? but it rejoices in the truth. So love is, yes, many of the things our culture applies to it, but it's greater than what our culture says, in that at times love will patiently with kindness come alongside someone and say, hey, there's a better way. Okay, so uh, love is love. And then the last one I wanted to share with you is my body my choice. You ever heard this one before? And oftentimes this is in the context of abortion. Now, I want to say this. If you're in here tonight, And uh, the the statistics say that about 18% of people that uh, attend evangelical churches have been involved with an abortion. If that's you tonight, can I tell you, there is forgiveness with God, and God loves you. There's nothing that you can do that God goes, you know, I didn't die for that one. So, so the Lord loves you. So, so please, if you have repented from that and gotten God's grace, do not live in the guilt of that. You are, this is what's great about the wonderfulness of God. However, we do need to have a discussion about this because our young people are wondering what is right regarding this issue. So what does it mean that, that when someone says, my body, my choice? Let's examine that. So the first step is to uh, uh, demonstrate the logic or discern what's being said. Ooh, uh, you might, I mess with this. Uh, sorry, sorry uh, sound people in the back. I cause all kinds of problems when I come to churches uh, with the sound. Okay, so... My body, my choice. Yes, that's where we're at. Okay, thank you. And yes, we're on that step. My body, my choice. Uh, what is meant by that? Now, here's the thing. What is meant by that is uh, 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 um, that you have autonomy over your own body. Now, is that true or is that false? Be careful. Well, I know what you mean, that it's not that my body, my choice, what they mean by that, but is it true? Think about this. Do you have autonomy over your body? Now, I think the people that are saying faults, are you saying faults because God is sovereignly brought? Okay, so that is true. But one day we will stand before our holy God. Will he not judge our actions in the choices that we made? So in that sense, do we have autonomy? Do, do we have the ability to choose for ourselves and be accountable for that? Yes. So in some senses, is my body, my choice true? Yes. Some people say, oh, you pro-lifers, you don't believe in my body, my choice. That's why we can stick anything in you we want. Now, if you want to get a vaccine, you're welcome to do so. But it's my body. And if I want to choose no, you ain't putting it in me. Now, once again, if you want to, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have gone there. I apologize. Uh, If you want to get it, it's okay. But I'm just saying we don't have to force people because I actually believe that the individual should be able to choose what goes in them. I think that should be a choice. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, what about my body, my choice? Here's the key. How do we demonstrate the logical flaw? The baby is a different body. Now, when when a baby is developing, uh, usually they have two hands. When when a baby is developing, does that mean that the mom all of a sudden has four hands? Does she have two heads? Uh, Did she become half the time it's a boy? The baby's developing. Did she all of a sudden become a man? No, because that is a baby with a complete separate set of DNA. It has different hands, has different eyes, it has different hair. It is a different body. And so the body of the baby is different than the body of the mother. Therefore, his body or her body, their choice. My friend, Dr. Bill Lyle, did a, he's been on our show, but he's, he did a project with me. He was speaking at the University of Florida, and uh, he posed this question, and this could really help you in some of these discussions, to students at the, at the medical school at the University of Florida. He asked them, he said, I have a question I want you to answer. He said, I have a patient, hypothetical patient, that is in dire need of life-saving surgery." I want to ask if if we should operate on that patient, but there's a contingency. The patient was not born in the United States. Young man in the back raised his hand, he said, Dr. Lyle, it does not matter. Whether the person was born overseas or whether they were born here in the United States, every patient is a person, and we as medical uh, professionals are entitled to give them dignity and respect. I would absolutely operate on that patient. And Dr. Lyle said, oh, there's just one more thing I didn't tell you. He hasn't been born in the United States yet. Do you know that we can do life-saving surgeries on babies before they're even born, and we do this with a high level of regularity already? If a baby can be a patient, how is it not a person? A young man came up to him afterwards. He goes, you're a Christian, aren't you, (laughs) Dr. said, Yeah. He goes, I'm an atheist, but you convinced me on this. He goes, I am now pro-life. Because if we can operate on it, it has to be a person. All right. So that's what I had to give you tonight. Is that helpful at all? I hope that it is. I have just a few minutes left. So let me give you one final illustration. What does apologetics really look like as I conclude? For me, always being ready has to do with keeping the rocks silent. You say, what do you mean by that? Do you know in the New Testament when Jesus uh, came into the city of Jerusalem through the eastern gate, that there was a massive party that was thrown for his entrance. Do you remember this? We call it Palm Sunday. People were cutting down palm branches. They were laying out their jackets, and here, Jesus is riding in the street. And in the middle of all this, the, the uh, Pharisees come, and they say, uh, you know, Jesus, you have to stop this. I believe if the Bible had a musical score. Every time the Pharisees showed up, you'd hear the music, dun, dun, dun. You know, these guys show up, and uh, they say, Jesus, you have to stop the crowd. What did Jesus say to them? He said, amen. If, If they are silent, I'll get the rocks to speak. It's one of the most beautiful states and beautiful places in all the world. I travel, play people like, you like California? (laughs) I love California. It's a beautiful state. But it has succumbed to so much darkness. You know this. I've got to tell you, I don't want the rocks around like Arrowhead speaking when I still have a voice. If God, in His grace and His mercy and His kindness, would allow me to speak instead of the rocks, I want to cut down a palm branch and I want to speak. Yes, Man, I hope that is true of you as well. Now, we don't speak in hatred, we speak the truth in love. And I believe that real apologetics is saying, hey, I'm not going to let the rocks in Newport Beach speak. I'm going to be a speaker of God's truth. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.